Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. I'm Claude Jennings, and this is a Bill Bennett Podcast special. Uh, Bill and our friend Joe Farkas had a chance to catch up with Steve Case. He's the author of The Rise of the Rest. Entrepreneurs in surprising places are building the new American dream. Steve Case, by the way, is co-founder of America Online and Revolution and New York Times bestselling author of The Third Wave. He's talking about how entrepreneurs all across the country are building groundbreaking companies, renewing communities, and creating new jobs. Okay, so this is Bill Bennett special. Bill Bennett, close friend of the show, Joel Farkas and Steve Case. Enjoy. Steve Case, co-founder of America Online and Revolution, New York Times bestselling author of The Third Wave, a new book called The Rise of the Rest. Steve, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We're also joined by a friend and colleague, uh, Joel Farkas, businessman, entrepreneur, developer, uh, who's going to help me in this interview because he's been working The Rest with a capital R for some time. Uh, Tell me what happened in 2014, Steve. Well, uh, first of all, it's great to be with you, Bill. We've uh, go back, I don't know, probably 30 years. and great. Gosh, great I guess so. Still uh, see pictures of you in a leather jacket. I rock and that. roll. Yeah. I remember that event. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so to, to your question, we, uh, in 2014, we launched uh, what we call the Rise of the Rest Road Trip, a bus tour uh, that started the first of a number of bus tours. Now we've done this in dozens and dozens of cities in the United States really trying to shine a spotlight on what's happening in these cities, mostly in the middle of the country, that uh, don't get the attention that some of the startup hubs like a Silicon Valley or a New York City get, but are starting to really launch some really interesting companies that I think can you know, kind of be some of the innovators of tomorrow, some of the, you know, the big Fortune 500 companies of, of tomorrow. And the process also helped renew, revitalize a lot of these you know, cities that, that uh that haven't really had a lot of the benefits in the last several decades of, of innovation, in part because they haven't really had much in the way of venture capital, investment capital to back entrepreneurs. So uh, over the last uh, you know, decade, about 75% of those venture capital dollars that the entrepreneur need to start and scale their companies has been invested in just three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. And the other 47 states are fighting over the other 25%. So how do we get more more money in the hands of uh, startup capital, in the hands of people with ideas, not just on the coast, but in the middle of the country? Uh, and that's really what this mission has been for the last decade and ultimately led to writing this book because I thought it, found it so remarkable. The, the hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs I met in the dozens and dozens of cities I visited uh, that are doing amazing things, but most people don't have any idea what's happening uh, in, in some of those places. So I think it's an optimistic story about the, this next chapter uh, for America at a time where we all could use a little more yeah. optimism. Yeah. Was there some uh, event or some visit or some place you went to or some conversation you had uh, that uh, really started this? Or was it just a general assessment? I mean, when I read that 75% of the venture capital goes to Silicon Valley, Boston, New York, uh, I was knocked over. I didn't know that. I sure didn't know that. Well, it started It started for me a, a little more than a decade ago. I was actually asked to co-chair something in Washington, D.C. called the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And that got me on this path, kind of did open my eyes to what we just you know, talked about, the 75% of capital going to just these three places. But also opened my eyes to the you know how pivotal entrepreneurs are in in creating jobs uh, that I always knew in my own experience with uh, America Online 
AOL, you know, seeing it start from a little company and grow to a big company, I certainly was aware that the, the role of these startups can play when they're successful. But the data, because it goes back about a decade, uh, was sort of surprising to me that even though big business or the Fortune 500 companies account for a lot of jobs as a sector, they don't grow a lot of jobs. They don't create a lot of new jobs oh. because some of the companies, maybe an Amazon are growing, but other companies like a, a Sears or Kmart are, are declining. And so if you add up all the growth and all the declines, it actually nets out uh, not much in the way of new jobs for big businesses. And the other one that was surprising is I knew small business was really important, you know, kind of a fabric of our communities and and you know, all the different businesses that are in all our cities uh, are so so critical. We learned that even more, you know, more, more so in during the pandemic. But small business, even though it accounts for a lot of jobs, also doesn't account for a lot of net new jobs. Because again, some might be growing, but some might be declining. If a restaurant goes out of business, gets replaced probably by another restaurant, hires about the same number of people. So it, when it's yeah. realized that it's not yeah. big business or small business, but new business, companies under five years that are big job creators. And then I realized that venture capital is it's not, not something every new business you know wants or needs, but most of the most successful and do decide they, they, they want need. Uh, then I just really realized there's a big disparity and that got us hitting the road and, and doing these various uh, you know, bus tours to see firsthand what's happening in different different cities. How many cities have you been to on the bus? On the bus is about 45 cities, but we've also visited uh, dozens of others uh, without necessarily uh-huh. having the whole bus in part because when you're on a bus, is, uh, you, know, you have to pick cities that are close to each other. So our first tour okay. eight years ago was to yeah. Yeah. Detroit, then Pittsburgh, then Cincinnati, then Nashville. Uh, but so so far we have we launched something called the Rise of Rust Fund about five years ago, and and that fund is now invested in over two hundred companies in more than a hundred different cities in the United States. So it's fairly broad based. And I think right. that was the other takeaway which led to writing the book. It's not just one or two cities that are rising up as strong startup cities. It's in several dozen cities, and most people uh, that, that's a big surprise to them. Yeah. 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 Uh, So 2014, one of the things that I've heard talking about this uh, with folks is, you know, question was technology late to discover this. Uh, Others uh, perhaps uh, maybe knew about this before Uh, people in the tech sector, the venture capital sector uh, knew about this. This is something you've you've thought about, Joel, correct? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's correct. There's about 50 years of data that we, We've tracked and researched showing the movement of the American population from urban cores to suburban, rural, exurban areas. Uh, it's, it's not a new phenomenon. It's, it has it, it certainly sped up of late, but it's been going on for, for uh, at least 50 years. Right. And so uh, would that have led, should that have led technology, Steve, uh, to this uh, to this conclusion or to this uh, innovation earlier? Well, I'd give a little bit of a history lesson here. First of all, the, the idea of venture capital, essentially investing money in new companies, owning a stake in that company, uh, is a relatively recent phenomenon. The, the venture capital industry just started a little over a, a half a century ago. Uh, before that, you know, that it, it, it occasionally you might find some wealthy family investing in something, but it wasn't particularly organized. And therefore, the, the fewer companies got started and the companies usually had to get a little bit of scale before banks would lend them money. And so there were some companies starting, but but not the same degree that we've seen more, more recently when venture capital as sort of an asset class came of age. 
And venture capital initially started in, in New York and then Boston and San Francisco and kept building on that. And that's part of the reason those cities are, are dominant. Yeah. But also, if you look back, even my own experience starting uh, America Online in Northern Virginia in 1985, so 37 years ago, uh, we were part of that first wave of the Internet, just kind of building the on-ramps, getting people online. And back then, it was actually fairly regionally distributed. It, Silicon Valley was less dominant. So, you know, we were in, as I said, Northern Virginia. Hayes, yep, the yep. company, was in Atlanta. CompuServe and Online Service was in Columbus, Ohio. Sprint the, uh, was in Kansas City. Uh, uh, Microsoft actually started in Albuquerque and then moved to Seattle. It was it was fairly distributed in in the eighties and nineties. This is really the last twenty years where Silicon Valley became so dominant. Uh-huh. And I think in the next twenty years, it's going to redistribute and that's going to help a lot of these cities and help a lot of the entrepreneurs in those cities and also give people a lot more flexibility in terms of where they want to live and and how they want to work. Well, you know, one of the things obviously coming out of the pandemic is is more more remote uh, work and more hybrid work. And that will also advantage some of these rise of the rest cities. Uh, Joel, I want you to throw in here. But one of the things Joel's taught me, a different perspective, is that picking up on your last phrase, Steve, where people want to live and where they want to work. And there's a pretty significant movement out of those three cities and those three metropolitan areas uh, you're talking about, Southern California, uh, you know, um, uh, New England, Massachusetts, uh, and certainly New York. Uh, and this has to do with uh, where people want to live and where they want to work and where they can afford. Joel, help me out here. Jump in, please. Um, certainly, certainly technology is critically important and innovation is important. I, I do agree with um, Steve, your comment about where job creation occurs, it doesn't, it really, new job creation really doesn't happen with big companies. It does happen with new startup and innovation. And that's, that's absolutely correct. Um, people though have been moving away from uh, urban areas for, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for quite some time. And it's because of quality of life. It's safety, security, um, affordability. Um, when, when businesses are concentrated in areas where it's, unaffordable, whether it's the house is unaffordable, energy, food, transportation, uh, safety, security, uh, family formation, people just simply cannot nor want to live in those areas. And that's been a big driving force. We, we actually have more than 19,000 municipal jurisdictions in the United States. So there's a lot of choices people in the United States have other than maybe the top 10 or 20 cities. The one that we have seen uh, some uh, migration and it's accelerated during the pandemic from sort of the big superstar cities like a, like a New York City or San Francisco to more kind of second tier you know, cities. Uh, so that that was some of that was happening before and in these what we call these rise of the rest cities. But, but it, more of it's happening you know, now. But the other dynamic that's been interesting, if you look at the, you know, the data, is for the last several decades, many parts of the country, in fact, most parts of the country, uh, essentially suffered from a brain drain where people growing up there or going to colleges or universities there when they graduated would often leave there because they didn't really feel that was a place where they could have a great career if they wanted to participate in sort of the tech sector, the innovation economy, the startup world. And so they often left where they were. 
uh, to go to one of the coastal superstar cities. And uh-huh. and uh-huh. What, we're, what, we're, what we're starting to see now is a slowing of that brain drain people leaving, actually a boomerang of some people returning because now there's more stuff happening in, in, in these cities. I write about a number of them in, in the book. It's yeah. like Atlanta and Chattanooga and Indianapolis and Richmond and, and Detroit. There's a lot of cities that are that have momentum now that they didn't have even even you know 10 years ago. And that's now resulting in more of the people graduating from Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh or or you know, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor now staying there once they graduate and 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 being part of of a startup community yeah. there as opposed to ten years ago where most of them would say I can't really stay here I have to go to Silicon Valley or New York City or something like that so I think that's a positive this this, this flow of talent is is important to watch as the flow of capital yeah Joel do you want to follow up on that seems to me there's a congruence there which is that. You know, if people can go get go back to the places that are more hospitable for them for any number of reasons and still have opportunities to grow and have investment behind them, that's a doubly good thing. It's very good. And, uh, you know, technology is, you know, provides people to do things anywhere, any, any, any time um, and do anything. So the pure definition of what it, it provides should allow people and should encourage people to live in all these other areas other than a core place. 20 years ago and even longer, lots of books were written and whether it was by Robert Rice or Richard Florida or or Paul Krugman or all kinds of people who said those core areas were the only place. And we've, we've seen over the last 20 years, that's not true. And, and, uh, Steve's current book is 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 highlighting that it's not true. They are not the only place. There are many other places, not only just because of capital and because of the you know, in new companies and innovation, but because in addition to that, it is a place where people want to, can afford to live, um, get, raise a family, be part of a of a community, and yet they can still get, as Steve mentioned they can still get some of the same benefits that might have only previously been focused on the urban areas. Steve. Yeah, no, I I think it's, it's actually a really positive development because as, as as Joel, you're saying, there are many reasons to be in, in these dozens of cities that we profile in the book. And some of that is, you know, family reasons. You just grew up there and that's where you want to raise your family. Some of it might be lifestyle reasons. You like certain aspects of the, the community hiking or skiing or something. Uh, there's often, you know, cost of living you know, benefits and, and also cost of operations for companies. They are able to raise some money. They, that money can go a lot further because everything costs less than you know, some of the big gateway cities like in New York or, uh, or, uh, or, or San Francisco. So there always been, been reasons to be in these other cities, but people ultimately felt like they were sacrificing their career potential by staying in place. And that led to this, this migration, this brain drain. And, and now and it, it was building, I think, over the last decade. We, we've been uh, working on this for a little over 10 years. And every year we felt there was a little bit more progress. But uh, no question the pandemic was a, was a tipping point, sort of an accelerant, because suddenly everybody had to be you know, working remotely or at least working on, on, on Zoom. People are not going to offices. Some people, if I'm not going to the office, maybe I should move somewhere else, at least temporarily. And some of those people then said, yeah, now that I'm in that other place, I kind of like it. My family comes to likes it. I want to stay here. And initially, they tend to continue to work remotely for the company they were working for previously. But once they're in these communities and start connecting to other people in the communities, it often leads them to say, 
I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I want to work for a company here in, 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 in my, in yeah, the city yeah, I now yeah. live. And, and that's going to really, I think, accelerate the growth of some of these companies in this, in the next five or 10 years. And will we see, Steve, a result in, in population shift as well uh, of the sort I was describing? When my guys graduated uh, from college, they did what it seemed almost everybody their age or their, their contemporaries were doing. They went to New York, right? right. They went to New York. Are we seeing less of that uh, or yeah, will uh, we see less? Yeah. And again, there's a lot of, you know, positive things about New York. There are a lot of positive things about you know, San Francisco. So this is not trying to be negative about some of those big cities that you know, people choose to live there. You know, they should, you know, should live there and there are a lot of opportunities there. But I'm, I'm pleased to see that it's where society is evolving and the business world is evolving and the startup world is evolving to give people more of the flexibility now that, that, that they didn't have, you know, say, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. And so ultimately it's about giving people more flexibility more 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 choice and you know then people will you know kind of vote with their feet in terms of where they where they want to live uh but thankfully now you know be less likely to be sacrificing their career potential by making the decision to be in some part of the country that historically has not been you know kind of known around from for innovation entrepreneurship Uh, that's correct and we even see that phenomenon in in europe i mean greece as an example has a very young population and a lot of uh, a lot of kids who went to university all over Europe and even the United States have chosen to move back to Greece uh, because they don't have to sacrifice their future and their career because of everything that Steve is talking about with innovation, new startups and technology that can occur there, too. Steve, is that your experience? Uh, yeah. Has the bus, been, bus been to Europe? No, no, we've, we've been focusing on the United States, <laughs> particularly the, the middle, middle of the country, and, and that will continue to be our our focus, but you know, some of the broader dynamics uh, are definitely playing out, you know, globally. And I think that also should be a, a, a wake up call for us as a, as a nation that for the way I look at it, and even you know, how I kick off the, you know, the book that, you know, 250 years ago, America itself was a startup. It was just a, yep. an idea. Yep. And, and, and like many startups almost didn't make it. And most people around the world were yep. skeptical of the idea of America was going to ever be you know, successful. Uh, but eventually it, you know, it went from, you know, struggling to, to thriving. And that was in large part because of the innovators, the pioneers, the entrepreneurs that built the, you know, the agriculture revolution, then sort of the industrial revolution, then more recently, the technology revolution. And, and now the United States is, is the leader of the free world with a leading economy in, in the world, and in many ways, the envy of the world. Uh, but we have seen in the last couple of decades, a globalization of entrepreneurship. Other countries have kind of figured out that the the secret sauce that powered the American innovation story are these young companies, these entrepreneurs. And if you look at the venture capital data uh, globally, uh, 25, 30 years ago, over 90% of global venture capital was invested in the United States. Now it's under 50%. So you have more, more people in more parts of the world are also raising the capital to start and scale. So it's kind of game on for America. We need to make sure that we're doubling down on our entrepreneurs and doing it in a more, you know, widespread kind of inclusive way, not just certain people in certain places like Silicon Valley, but lots of people all across the country. Yeah. We've been talking here uh, in general. Can you give us an example? Give us a, tell us about a, a Wichita or a Tulsa or a, someplace, Oklahoma City. No, these are all great cities. We have investments in, in, in all those cities. Some of the ones that, that uh, I profile in the book are companies like in Chattanooga, a company called Freight Waves, 
that's built a, a kind of like a Bloomberg data platform for the trucking and logistics industry. And I didn't know this till we were in Chattanooga, but a lot of the biggest trucking companies in America are headquartered in Chattanooga. So that's a, you know, kind of a great place to, to build a, a company like that. There's another company in Fayetteville, Arkansas called Acre Trader that's built a platform to allow people to invest in farmland. So if somebody who owns farmland wants to raise some capital to expand, uh, they can, instead of selling the entire farm, they could sell an interest in the, in the farm and the investors can diversify and have, have the you know, benefit of, of that kind of diversification. That company, you know, this has scaled quite significantly in, 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 uh, in Northwest Arkansas. Also a company in Eastern Kentucky called App Harvest, uh, about an hour outside of Lexington, Kentucky, that now has the largest indoor greenhouse in the country. Uh, and uses 90% less water and, and, huh. and can get their, their, their fruits and vegetables to the market quickly because 70% of the U.S. population is within a 24-hour drive. And they also created 500 jobs in the area. It's known as sort of Appalachia coal country that's, that's uh, you know, struggled for a number of, of years. Outside of Atlanta, there's a company called Hermias that's building a Mach 5 engine and planes you can get from Atlanta to Europe in 90 minutes and also, guess what? The Air Force <laughs> likes to move stuff fast, and they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're a yeah. customer and partner uh, as well. Buffalo, New York, a company called Spark Charge that allows for, for electric vehicles instead of just building EV stations to, to recharge. This is mobile recharging, so it'll actually come to you, come to your home, come to your office and, and charge your car. So these are just a handful of, I, I profiled dozens of, of these stories all, uh, all across yeah, the, yeah, the country. Yeah, you do. Uh, and it really is amazing to see what's happening there and, and disappointing that more, more people don't know those stories, which, again, is why I wrote the book. It's, yeah, that's correct. Um, the people, the theme is there's a lot of excellent, admirable people who are unheard and unseen. And they, it doesn't yeah. mean they don't exist. They're there. Yeah. It's wonderful to, to shine a spotlight on them for the first time. Yeah. How large is that largest greenhouse, Steve? You know, uh, I can't remember exactly the size. It's something like a dozen football fields something it was, it's something like that it's okay. big it's big and uh and they're not growing uh, they're not growing marijuana there right no, no they're not because you told, no, no, you told me they're not using a lot of water and that's one thing we know marijuana needs is a lot of water yeah no it's, it's more it's uh more initially focused on things like strawberry but now it's expanded into into other other areas but there's a great story there this company app harvest there was a woman when they were building it just about three four years ago building this this massive you know complex Again, this is an area of, of, of you know kind of coal country that's really had a, a, a struggles over the last few decades, including you know, some serious issues around uh, opioid abuse, other kinds of things. There just wasn't a lot of hope in that in that particular community. And as the construction was happening of this new you know, greenhouse facility, there was a woman that showed up almost every day, just brought like her her lawn chair and was sit watching this this build up. Um, and, you know, after it was going on for a few weeks, somebody went, who was working on the project went over and said, like, who are you and why are you here? And she said, I've just been praying for decades that something would happen in this community that would give the young people a reason to stay and give them some <laughs> sense of hope. And this this is this is it. This is this is my my prayer is coming, you know, kind of finally coming to, to into you know, to, you know, happening. And it, it's just a remarkable story about both the challenges in some of these places and some of the struggles they've had. But now how the you know, it, not everywhere, but many places they're turning the corner. Uh, and there, there is more more opportunity in part because there's more job creation, in part because there's more entrepreneurs now building companies, in part because there's now more investors backing the companies, not just in the 
coastal tech hubs, but but in dozens of cities all across the country. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the perspective I'm kind of interested in, that young person's perspective as, uh, you know, I, I'm not like you guys. I'm a philosophy major from Williams College. I don't think that was your major, was it, Steve Williams? No, my, my major was political science. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we'll talk about that too. But anyway, you know, if young people say, what should I, what should I do? Where should I go? Uh, you don't need to go far from home if you don't want to. Uh, you know, you can even look at ROI, return on investment uh, these days and, and see that uh, it might make more sense for you to stay, uh, stay where you are. Uh, well, one of the things that strikes me, and again, I'm trying to translate into, into what I do is, uh, you know, I'm watching Fox News and they're bemoaning the Washington perspective and New York perspective of, uh, you know, politicians uh, and what they're saying and believing is important. Meanwhile, they're doing that from New York and Washington, uh, you know, and it, it seems to me that they're, they're bedeviled by the same thing. How about relocating Fox News in Omaha? Yeah. Comment, no, it's comment. interesting you say that when, when we were getting ready to launch this book and do the book tour and even the first launch week, uh, which just about a little over a month ago, uh, our initial idea was since this book is on the rise of rest, this book is about the cities on the rise all across the country. Why don't we do the book launch from, from one of these cities, pick a city that we've <laughs> done a lot of things in like a Detroit or, or uh-huh, another city. Uh-huh. And, and, but then we quickly realized that, well, in order to really create visibility for this book, we wanted to be on, uh, we were, we, I had the opportunity to be on things like good morning America. And yeah, sure. Show and morning Joe and Squawk Box and, you know, a bunch of other things. And they're all being filmed in, in New York and they all want you to be in the studio in New York. So That's we ended right. up saying, okay, That's well, right. it's not exactly the obvious, way we would launch a book about the rest of the country by doing it from new york city but that would be the most effective way to get the get the word out and so the first week i was basically in new york and for the last month i have been traveling around the you know country to cities like louisville and san antonio and, and phoenix and milwaukee and and all other all kinds of different different cities uh, and that will continue in the in the coming months yeah i mean the, it's, it seems to me the cultural like the economic um uh you know influences are very strong uh, from those three places, Boston, New York, Southern California. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a concomitant movement um, in, um, I don't see it in the news media, but in, uh, you know, in other ways, like we've talked about people, people, people staying close to home. In, in what ways, I mean, can the country become more of a country, more of a startup country, more of a evenly distributed country? Uh, than uh, than it is now. I mean, you 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 have documented one way and have gone to work on it, uh, but but in in what other ways? I wonder. Well, I think I'm sure there are many facets to this, and as you say, we're just focused on one. But I do think the reason this is important it's not just about backing a particular entrepreneur, or investing in a particular startup company. Um, it's really the broader impact these companies have on. Different cities. Yeah. And I again lived yeah. this firsthand yeah. with my yeah. own experience at AOL. When we started in in the you know the northern Virginia area, it started with a couple dozen people, and at our peak we had about ten thousand people. But the community around us also benefited, and the data says that for every job within a startup company, there are five other jobs more broadly in the community: people building houses, people working in restaurants. A lot yeah. of different yeah. things yeah. happen yeah. when when there's job growth, and so creating that momentum is I think, critical for some, a lot of these you know, you know, cities. And, you know, there are many people in many parts of the country that are understandably angry and, and, and feel 
left out, left behind, disrespected. Uh, and, and a key part of that, not the only part, but a key part of that uh, is they really don't have uh, optimism about the future. They don't really have yeah. the jobs, yeah. the, the quality jobs, the high, you know, good paying jobs uh, that, you know, that, that maybe their, some, some their parents or grandparents had. And so that, you know, just feel like they're, you know, you know, they're, they're slipping and, and others on the coast are rising and that creates this disconnect that obviously plays in with our politics as well. So I think if we can, back more entrepreneurs, we can, you know, start more companies, we can have some of those scale to being some of the big fortune 500 companies of tomorrow. And the process, we yeah, also yeah, can, yeah. you know, start renewing some of these, you know, these communities and maybe even at least in some, some small way, bridging this divide that we have in this country, which in part yeah. is a divide over, over an opportunity gap. Joe, I want you to throw in here before you do, just comment because I was saying to a group of students the other day, uh, in in Washington, I was talking about the Constitutional Convention, so the compromises and so on. I was saying, of course, you know, you just talked about Northern Virginia. I was saying, of course, Virginia couldn't be alienated. I mean, Virginia was the most powerful state of the original. And the students were, what, Virginia? Really? <laughs> exactly. Virginia? Isn't that just like tobacco and, you know, uh, this, this was classic, you know, sort of Yankee bias. But um, yeah, and um, and the other thing is, you know, as someone who's traveled all 50 states visiting schools, uh, admittedly, not doing what you were doing or what you, you do, Joel, um, you know, one thing I have to, had to tell people on the coast, there are smart people everywhere. They really are everywhere. Joel, jump in here quick, please. And, and if you have a question for Steve, because we're getting a little short on time. Well, the, the, the middle the middle of the country, uh, other than the coast, has actually been rising up. There is anger. However, there's a few there's a couple hundred or more million people that live in these locales that we're talking about. Um, and which locales you mean? The, all the, the all the, the center of the country in these smaller. Oh, towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the 19000 jurisdictions in America. There's more than 200 million people that live there and many of them have have this desire to live i mean we talk about the young kids the parents would like their kids to be near them the grandparents want to be near their grandkids these are all very important factors that have compelled people to live in these locales and you know most people on the coast their first question is why in the world would you live in blah 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 well that's one of the big reasons why they would live there and if you can then have opportunity and innovation and startup and and economic uh, access to economic opportunity without going to these other locales. Um, that's even better, and and that's actually happening. There is anger, but um, the, the the more than two hundred million people I'm referring to um, have made these choices without that opportunity, and now with the opportunity that Steve is referring to, I think it's just amazing, an amazing yeah. future for this country. Yeah, uh, it's good. I mean, it's it's a replenishing, it's a redistributing in the right in the right way. Steve, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's sort of a, it, it, a lot of things that make people uh, angry. A lot of things that that divide our country, which is which is uh, unfortunate. This is a topic uh, that can unite our country. This is a topic that it has broad bipartisan support. I've, I've, I've been working on this innovation entrepreneurship policy for for more than a decade. Uh, helped uh, pass some legislation yeah. uh, just about yeah. 10 years ago called the Jumpstarting Our Business Startups Act with Jobs Act. 
and it passed with broad bipartisan support and because kind of everybody is in favor of supporting the risk-taking pioneering entrepreneurs that are they're building these companies and, and helping to build the future and so just doubling down on on innovation entrepreneurship, but doing it in a, as we said, doing it in a more inclusive way. So not just the people on the coast, but people all across the country have an opportunity to essentially pursue the American dream. And also I think it's the best way to, to hedge the risk that other countries around the world, China and others, you know, start becoming more and more significant in terms of the, you know, the technologies of the future. You know, we, we have, we have the lead and we have to, do everything we can to protect that lead and build on that lead. And that's why this, this is so important in terms of the, the rise of the rest. And that ultimately is why I, I wrote the book, because I thought it was yeah. a story that needed to be told. And it happens to be a, a fairly you know, optimistic kind of inspirational story about this, you know, what could happen in the next you know, couple of decades in this country if more people pay attention not just to the coast, but what's happening in, in, in the middle of the country. Looks to me, too, from uh, the book itself and the write-ups of the book and the blurbs, that you've managed to gather up a lot of the uh, old guard, if you will. I mean, you know, last 50 years, but old guard people and bring them uh, to the middle of the country as well. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a trying to get you know, kind of build a, a movement here, of people paying attention to what's happening uh, in, in these different cities and also within these different cities, you know, they, part of our message when we're there with our with our bus is everybody has a, a, a role to play here. It's it's hard for people to take the risk of starting a, a company. It's scary, and so having a community that's got their back, that's uh, cheering them on, yeah, uh, yeah, is, yeah, is important. Having people, you know, kind of you know help you know, as customers of these new companies, or maybe investors of these new companies, or just mentors to the entrepreneurs. It's it's important. It's it's one thing that Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley. That, you know, there's some things that, that sometimes trouble me, but one of the things it does really well is creating that that climate of possibility that, that, that you know, people yeah, hear yeah, an idea yeah. there and they say, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Go for it. And often in different parts of the country, a similar idea is say, well, that seems risky. I, 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 don't, I, w- I wouldn't do that if I were you. And, and you know, we didn't build America by, by you know, by taking the easy path. We, we took sometimes the hard path. Uh, and that's what the path the entrepreneurs are taking. We need to be cheering them on. Yeah. Although also, what was that great TV show that parodied uh, Silicon Valley? Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but everybody, as they came up with their idea, said, this will change the world. <laughs> yeah, right? sometimes, right? yeah. Sometimes yeah. sometimes, Silicon Valley is a little, yeah. uh, <laughs> kind of, kind of, it needs a little uh, kind of reality check maybe sometimes even a humility yeah. check but but it's good that they're hubris, they're, hubris they're yeah. imagining you know imagining new possibilities and the other thing i'd point out is i did a, a talk at the a big tech conference in silicon valley probably three or four years ago there was a couple thousand people in the audience and i asked for a show of hand i said how many people uh have grew up in the bay area and it was less than five percent uh, yeah Especially sure. everybody in silicon valley sure. from someplace else of course, so, you know, they, you know, they, they go there because that's sort of the land of opportunity. How do we create a land of opportunity in the cities that birthed them and built them? And, and yeah, that's right. Them, good. Not just good. have them good. feel like they have to leave and, and go yep. to the coast. That's good. You're doing Joel comment question. Anything uh, in the early 1800s, Alexis de Tocqueville, from the French philosopher and, and politician of some sort, came to the United States, came to America and the United States and marveled. It was so different than Europe yeah, that there yeah. was no centralized power, no centralized right. population. Right. Things That's were right. spread out all over the place. He thought that was the most amazing thing and, and postulated that the, that the United States and America would grow and thrive. 
And uh, thankfully, we're getting back to it. And uh, Steve, thanks for writing that book because people need to hear it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I remember Tocqueville talked about the, the Paris as the spider, you know, the large bloated body of the spider and the webs, you know, were elsewhere. And then I remember uh, one of the novels by uh, Henry James, in which he talks about a young man who, uh, and how many novels have been written like this, who lived in an area which he thought, thought of as the backwaters and muddied ponds uh, of his neighborhood. And meanwhile, there was a roaring vortex in London, which he must see. You know, <laughs> those, those ideas have, uh, you know, have been around for a long time and have uh, encouraged a lot of a lot of people. And now it's great to see some encouragement back. And good for you, Steve. I joined with Joel and saying, I got to ask you this. And I'm not trying to be a smart ass. Has anybody secretly whispered to you after any of these meetings? What the hell do you want to go out there and help Trump country for? What are you doing that for? <laughs> well, no, and then it's not that is because like we stay out of politics and some of the Well, I know you do, we've, but we've been still, doing this for still we've been doing this yeah. for more than a, a decade. No, I know and, I know you don't do it as politics, but somebody has had to say something like well, there are definitely people kind of, particularly early sure. on, we're just getting started. We're puzzled that we're spending so much time, you know, particularly when I was driving around the country by bus and like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, are right. Are you going there? It's important. I want to see firsthand what's happening and do what I can to, to cheer on the, the, the cities on the rise and these entrepreneurs that, were, that are building. Yeah. Bill, didn't you one time say uh, that when uh, Harvard, uh, when they realized they, at some point in time, they realized there were smart people all over the country and that's how they started really thriving? Yeah, that was the uh, that was the first chapter of Charles Murray's book. Uh, I forget what it was called. I had a brilliant name to it. I wish I could think of it, but that's the difference between Charles Murray and me. But it was uh, the the something elite, the the intellectual lead, but it was a better phrase that Harvard developed a vacuum cleaner uh, and an, an analytical uh, tool to find the brightest people, you know, wherever they were and suck them all up. Um, and now we're seeing a, a reverse trend. Charles Koch, you guys uh, uh, know him or know he is. Yep. Anyway, told, told me I, I did a series of interviews on his book. What do you call it? What's it called? Good Profit. Uh, he said, uh, I don't hire any of those coastal guys. I hire right out of Oklahoma Wesley. Thank you very much. And he said, that's yeah, right. The Coke industry is definitely the, I did know Charles and, and uh, worked with him on a number of things. And, and they, their strategy is to find young, young, bright people that are, you know, hungry and just you know, want to learn. And, and they, they bring them in and they, they just, you know, kind of teach them some skills that, that complement what they learned and, in school and as a result they they have a much more loyalty that than, than most other companies and and yeah. so, you know different companies can do different things yeah. but, but yeah. trying to identify right. promising people and that are in so your own backyard right. it seems like a good place to start yeah well steve thank you very much uh please say hi to the family gene everybody Forrest, will you elaine says hello all right and, well, uh, thank you Bill. Okay. good talk to you joel always fun thank yeah, you a little good. different i think i hope for you this time but you know very interesting from the human perspective and from the, the thought of the American experiment, you know, and what it's all about. So very encouraging. Congratulations. The rise of the rest. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Steve. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Hope you enjoyed that. Again, the book is uh, The Rise of the Rest, How Entrepreneurs in Surprising Places Are Building the New American Dream. Thanks a lot, of course, to Dr. Bennett for his time on this special feature. Uh, to Steve Case, the author, and our good friend, 
Joe Farkas. Feel free to email in BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love your thoughts on all things discussed in this episode. We'll catch up next week.